kind of interesting where our lesson begins today. And, um, you know, I kind of briefly go through, you know, these books to, to start with, but it's usually Sunday afternoon that I get into the lesson and really, really look at it. So I didn't have any idea where this lesson was going to start. Um, and it's interesting because I was telling my wife that something that stood out to me as I was preaching was those three little things that uh, the Lord tells us uh, we ought to have, um, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful and be courteous. There's actually four things there, but that just kind of was like on my mind. And lo and behold, the lesson begins where I left off in that text of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. If I could have a volunteer to read those verses. 1 Peter chapter 3, Brother Mike, 8 through 15. <clears throat> Finally, we all one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called and that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and, and, and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, it, but and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. All right. <clears throat> it says here in our fast-paced world, we hurry along through our daily activities, often taking for granted the many blessings God has given us. Indeed, God has given us many blessings, and he calls us to purposefully give him thanks for them. Psalm 100 verses 4 through 5, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Cultivating the habit of thanks helps us in many areas of our life. When our heart is filled with gratitude, we are less inclined to covetousness. Additionally, when we are thankful for the blessings of God, we are less focused, less self-focused, and more aware of the needs of those around us. When we are focusing on what we wish we had, we fail to see the needs of others. So often we hear of tragedies in the news or the plight of those in some kind of need, but because of our self-focus, we are desensitized to their needs and fail to offer help, support, or our presence. Learning to be thankful helps us to nurture a heart of compassion as we consider the needs of others. 
story here. A woman was visiting some people who lived on a farm. Now, I think of the bedding houses automatically if you've ever been over their house. And she noticed a pig limping in the backyard with a wooden leg. She asked the farmer what happened to the pig. The farmer said, oh, Betsy is a wonderful pig. One night the house caught on fire and she oinked so loud she woke us up and we got the fire truck here in time to save the house. The woman said, that's really something. The farmer continued, that's not all. One day my youngest daughter fell into the pond and Betsy oinked so loud that she got our attention and we were able to pull our, my daughter out of the pond in time. The woman said, that's really amazing, but I still don't understand why the pig has a wooden leg. Farmer said, well, when you have a pig that special, you don't want to eat her all at once. <laughs> the farmer was showing gratitude in phases. His compassion was not genuine. Compassion has been defined as your hurt in my heart. It's easy for us to feel momentarily sad about something. It could be tragic news we read on social media or prayer requests of someone in our church group, but we quickly move on without ever acting on that feeling. Jesus, however, upon seeing the multitudes, was moved with compassion and acted because of it. He felt their hurt keenly and expressed his compassion in active care. Matthew 14, 14, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. In today's study, we're going to look at three aspects of the compassion God calls us to show one another. Now, something that, uh, as I looked at this study, there is the idea of the goals. It says to understand what it means to be compassionate, determined to show compassion in our daily lives. Now, that one kind of like threw me. Because it seems like compassion is something that every once in a while you have an opportunity to have. But it says daily. And then persevere in our commitment to live compassionately. So we start out with the what of compassion. Did not hear it yet. Nope. Oh, gotcha. The realm of compassion. Yeah. Hangman. <laughs> the realm of compassion. To whom should our compassion extend? Now, we find at least a partial answer to this question in verse 8 of our text in the phrase, having compassion one of another. We are to show compassion to each other within the body of Christ. The phrase, compassion one of another, in this verse means to feel with another, to suffer with another, to identify with another. God wants us to have a heart of compassion that leads to action. This is about seeing someone's need and taking the lead to meet that need. Jesus Christ demonstrated this compassion toward us when he saw our need for salvation and came down to earth to meet our need. Likewise, we ought to have a heart of compassion toward others. Verse 8 gives us two keys to developing this kind of compassion within 
the church family. First is a what mindset? Unified. <laughs> a unified mindset. This verse begins with the instructions, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. We are to be united in having the mind of Christ. In fact, the phrase one mind means to be like-minded, harmonious, and with concord. It gives us the idea of musical harmony. This isn't uniformity, but unity. Our world is so often divided, but the church should be a place where we're all united around shared doctrine and care for each other. We may have differences, but what brings us together in Christ is stronger than what divides us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let us each esteem other better than themselves. Ten days after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the people of North Platte, Nebraska, received word that soldiers from their town would be passing through North Platte on the train. These soldiers were part of the Nebraska National Guard Company D. Hundreds of mothers and wives showed up at the train, at the train depot with care packages, food, and letters to give to these soldiers. The train eventually arrived, but it turned out to be soldiers from the Kansas National Guard Company D on board. But the Nebraska National Guard, uh, well, it was, it turned out to be the soldiers from the Kansas National Guard Company D on board, not the Nebraska National Guard Company D boys. The women watched awkwardly as <clears throat> the soldiers unknown to them descended from the train. Finally, one mother went up to a young soldier, handed him a care basket intended for her son, and thanked him for serving the country. The other ladies followed her lead and began giving out gifts to the soldiers. Soon the town organized a canteen so that everyone could gather to prepare food and distribute care packages to the soldiers passing through on the train. The operation carried on for the next four and a half years. The women of North Platte prepared sandwiches, cookies, and hot coffee for the soldiers that came through their town. They served as many as 8,000 soldiers and sailors on some days. The last train arrived on April 1st, 1946. By then, the North Platte Canteen had served six million soldiers. <laughs> the soldiers only had ten minutes during their stop, but were richly blessed by the unconditional love they had received. The fond memory of this kind deed saw the soldiers through the heat of battle and lasted well after the war was over. Now here's a book. Maybe it might be good to read. In his book... <clears throat> Once Upon a Town, which made the North Platte canteen story famous, Bob Green interviewed the few surviving soldiers who had come through North Platte in the 1940s. 
Their response to the kindness shown to them during a time of hardship was the same. All of them wept. Suppose someone came to your church and you asked him 10 years later what impact the church had on his life. Would the reply be, somebody cared for me there? Jude 22, and of some having compassion, making a difference. Compassion makes a difference in people's lives. And we must have a unified mindset in showing compassion to one another. Not only a unified mindset, but a... Come on. Loving. Loving, all right. A loving mindset. When we have a unified mindset, we'll be loving to one another. Verse 8 instructs us to love as brethren. And I had picked up on this, and anybody who who preaches or has a message, you'll, you'll have phrases that is like the Lord says, this is interesting how this is said here. But, but you don't have time right now. <laughs> Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous. There are three aspects mentioned in this verse. So I wasn't too far off. Somebody else saw this. Love as brethren. The love we ought to show to one another is a brotherly, fraternal kind of love. Let me just tell you this. If our church is going to be anything, we need to be like a family. We know what our family is. We're there for each other. We can ask things. Um, you know, just a simple little thing I thought about. I asked Brother Mike if he, was, if he came across a piece of drywall, you know. I just felt the liberty because I feel like I had the relationship. Just like I would ask my brother who's in construction, hey, if you find this, will you pick this up for me? You know, and, and I'm sure he was glad he, he brought me over a piece. And, you know, that's, that's just kind of like a family kind of feeling. That's, that's what church needs to be. And, and anybody who's been in a good church knows that that's, there's that uh, wrapped around it. A loving mindset. Then be pitiful. I thought this is interesting. If, who knows Brother Jerry Brinker? Who knows his famous saying? Pitiful, pitiful, pitiful. <laughs> pitiful. God also wants us to be pitiful. Not the way he uses it. <laughs> the word pitiful does not mean weak or lame, but rather being tender-hearted, full of pity, and inward affection. As believers, our hearts should be full of care for others. Ephesians 4.32, a common verse. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And then the third aspect here is to be courteous. You know, I mentioned this morning, it doesn't matter, you know, sometimes we may like have different positions, we have different personalities, but hey, this, this is for everybody. The word courteous means friendly or kind. Literally, it means to be humble-minded. Courtesy is putting others before yourself and giving preference to others. When we see someone in need, do we consider how we can be a blessing to that person? When we have the mindset of compassion, we will have the desire to show love toward others. So we've jumped into the realm of compassion, 
And then we have the reach who just got four ounces the reach of compassion all christians ought to be involved showing compassion one to another but how can we demonstrate this compassion we need to reach that's the reason i didn't put that in there reach how Verbally. To reach verbally. Verses 9 through 11, and, and again with Peter, you know, it's, it's talking about our mouth, how we use our tongue. It tells us that we can reach out with compassion through the use of our words. Because of the power of influence of our words, we need to be mindful of how we use them. When we speak kindly, we can encourage others, but when we speak unkindly, we can hurt others and cause strife. I've been there in both places. We can reach out with compassion verbally through the use of positive words. Verse 9 tells us that instead of rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, we are to give a blessing. That's an interesting term, isn't it? The word blessing translates from the Greek word eulogio, from which we get the word eulogy. It means praise, a good word, or a benediction. In a funeral, a family member of, or friend gives a eulogy, speaking words of blessing about the deceased. God wants our words to encourage and uplift others. Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Perhaps you've had someone say just the right word at the right time in your life, and that made a difference for you. That is what Proverbs 25.11 is speaking of. Words that are rightly spoken are valuable and pleasant to the hearer. <clears throat> Excuse me. George Truitt was a well-known American clergyman who pastored First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas for decades. After accident, this is this is a terrible thing here. I don't know if you all know about this. After after accidentally killing his best friend while they were on a hunting trip, Truett was heartbroken. According to his daughter, he never laughed after that day. Truett had a rodeo program which he would close each day with these words: "Be good to everybody, because everybody is having a tough time." Our words should not only encourage others, but they should also bring peace in our relationships with one another. Romans 12, 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Notice the phrase in Romans 12, 18, as much as lieth in you. Living peaceably with everyone can be a challenge indeed. But we need to try our best to live agreeably with others. Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. The phrase follow after the things which make for peace suggests that peace will not happen automatically. 
We must choose to pursue it intentionally. It activates, it, it takes active effort on our part. When our speech is seasoned with positive words, we can bring peace in our relationships with one another. So we're to reach verbally and we're to reach Thoughtfully. Ooh. You must have had a good time off, John. It's sharp, man. <laughs> Thoughtfully. Sometimes it's not only our manner of speech that brings peace, but also, listen to this, the withholding of unkind words. We know what that is. We know what we want to say sometimes. <laughs> When we, meet, when we meet angry or contentious people who rail at us, our natural response is to rail back at them. The Bible, however, instructs us to repay evil with blessing. Verse 9 tells us what our response should be, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary-wise blessing. To render means to deliver, recompense, or repay. Railing is defined as <clears throat> reviling, slander, or reproach. Do you ever have people speak evil of you? <laughs> it's so easy to respond with vengeful, hurtful words. But Jesus told us to respond differently. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Matthew 5, 44. When we respond in anger... We end up causing more strife. We need to exercise restraint in our speech and withhold the use of ungodly words. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The next time someone speaks evil of you, try responding with kindness and compassion. This often puts an end to a dispute. <clears throat> Here, Peter specifically warning against hurtful speech that is premeditated, not just a spur-of-the-moment reaction. He says, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil. Job is an example of a man in the Bible who feared God because of, and because of that eschewed or hated and turned away from evil. Job 1.1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. I don't know if that's eschewed or eschewed. Brother Mike says eschewed. Um, you know, I think that might be interesting one day. We get in heaven and, and we'll go through all those words that we pronounced and we get to see how they're really pronounced. And some of them we say, yeah, and some of them say, ooh. <laughs> Despite his wife telling him to curse God and die, Job, and his friends falsely accusing him of secret sin, Job remained focused on the Lord and maintained a godly testimony. Just a thought here. The only reputation we need to be concerned about is God's reputation. Even when others falsely accuse or speak evil of us, we if we restrain our words, we'll have opportunity to show compassion. We've seen to whom 
our compassion should reach and how we can exercise it. But notice how compassion is rewarded. <clears throat> so, you want to go ahead and tell me what this one is? Reward. Reward. Uh, let me tell you something about Job I just thought about. Because it says how we can reach others through by holding back. Well, Job was an example of holding back. What happened at the end? He was able to forgive, show compassion to his friends, and it made a difference. The reward of compassion. You know, it may seem like our acts of compassion go unnoticed. <laughs> when someone reviles us, we turn <coughs> the other cheek, but no one seems to see. But God knows. However, and He takes note of our acts of compassion. We may feel all alone in doing right, but we can take heart knowing that God will reward us for living a life of compassion. He blanks our testimony. Knows. He knows our testimony. Verse 12 tells us that God sees our actions. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. We serve a living God who sees our lives and is acquainted with all our ways. He notices our faithfulness even when no one else is watching. God not only watches us, but He also hears us. The second part of verse 12 goes on to say that His ears are open under their prayers. God delights in hearing and answering His children's prayers. When we come before God in prayer, we can be confident that He hears our requests and will answer us according to His time. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Our connection and prayer to God can be limited by sin. But God never simply ignores us. He always desires our unhindered fellowship with Him in prayer. And that's another thing that we've seen in Peter's writings. What can get in the way of our prayers to God. Psalm 66, 18 through 20. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor His mercy from me. God sees, He hears, and He judges too. You might have wondered why the wicked seem to go unpunished while the righteous suffer. Asaph in the Psalms, I almost but slipped, got caught in that. I mean, I, Asaph is one of those people I admire in the Bible. I think he lived in a tough time and the, the way the priesthood was 
was at that point and to stand where you had to stand and felt pretty much alone and sometimes uh, it just seemed like everybody got away with everything. And we kind of see that today. We can slip into that. It says, verse 12 tells us that the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. In our human wisdom, we can never explain God's ways or fully understand His sovereignty. Isn't that a theme that God seems to be using uh, in our church? But God judges the unrighteous and will make all things right in His time. Though God judges the wicked... He does not take pleasure in it, but rather delights in showing mercy. What a God. You know, I think by now I should know God more than I I do, but I'm just learning more and more how great He is, how high He really is. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of His heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Micah chapter 7, 18 through 19. While God extends patience toward those who mock and oppose him, he will eventually judge them. Nothing is ever out of his control or his plan, and no one will ever get away with mocking God or attacking his people. We can trust that God will always judge in the right way and at the right time. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6-7, through 7, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Another common theme that we're having is it will happen in the future. We can guarantee it. We know we we need to just trust in that. We may not be able to control what others do to us, but we can control how we respond. God wants our actions and reactions to be compassionate. Our responsibility is to be faithful in showing compassion to one another and leave him to judge those who have done wrong. So he knows our testimony and he what our faithfulness. Rewards. All in the future, folks. (laughs) As we demonstrate compassion in our daily lives, God knows our testimony. He sees our long-suffering, and He will reward our faithfulness. At times, our patience may be tested, and we may feel alone in doing right or or discouraged by unkind treatment from others. But we must persevere in showing compassion to one another because our efforts are not in vain. Galatians 6, 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Even when we do right, we still face opposition. Verse 14 says, But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Sometimes we might suffer even when we are just trying to be a blessing or to witness by giving out a gospel tract. The reality is that we live in a society 
that is becoming more ungodly, and we will suffer for our faith. <coughs> Perhaps you took a stand and turned down an invitation to attend a worldly party. <laughs> Andy's used to that. Your friends may laugh at you, but God says that you can still be happy even when faced with persecution. The word happy in verse 14 means supremely blessed or well off. God's word tells us that we need not fear or be troubled by persecution. We can rejoice in taking a stand because we are doing what is right in God's eyes. And because of our faithfulness, taking a stand for what is right, God will reward us. Luke chapter 6, verses 22 through 23. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. And when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake, rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. <laughs> for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. You remember the early church. They were happy. They, they, they were a part of this when they were They found themselves worthy to be persecuted. They were happy and joyous over that. Story that's been told here before, but has a little more, a little bit more detail in it from what I remember. Corey Ten Boom was a woman from Amsterdam whose entire family was taken into concentration camps under Hitler's rule. Her father and sister both died while in prison. After the war, Corey was in the city of Munich, speaking to a church about compassion and forgiveness. She recounted the horrific atrocities that she had experienced in the concentration camp at Ravensbrück. Despite the injustices done to her and her family, she said, I'm thankful that God forgave me and that by God's grace I can forgive others. That was her testimony. After the service, something unexpected happened. A man came up to Corey and reached out to shake her hand. He said, Fraulein, the message that you gave today was a great, encourage, great encouragement to me to know that God would forgive me for all of my sin. When she looked into his face, Corey realized he was one of the guards from the Ravensbrook who had mistreated her and her sister. At that moment, Corey froze. There was no forgiveness in her, only fear. She recounted in her book that she had a flashback and saw the face of her dead sister, pale and ashen, and remembered what the prison guards had done to her sister. Then she prayed, Lord, I just spoke about forgiveness. Help me to forgive. Help me to have compassion on this man who now believes in you. As an act of faith, Corey reached her hand toward his outreached hand, choosing to forgive. Suddenly a warmth came through her body and the love of God began to well in her heart. Corey looked into the man's eyes and said, Yes, the forgiveness of Jesus is a wonderful thing. I'm so glad that we can both experience it today. Conclusion. When others wrong us, we can either get even <laughs> or ask the Lord to give us a compassionate heart and repay evil with a blessing.
I remember your your dad, Debbie, was telling me about some situations that were kind of cruel and insensitive that came at him. But later on, the end of the story was was an ability to have compassion toward that person. What a wonderful thing. That's what God tells us to do. When we see someone in need, we can choose to refrain or remain indifferent or step forward to meet that need. As we demonstrate compassion in our lives, doors will begin to open for us to present the gospel. Boy, that's what we need. For a Christian, it's, uh, it can be kind of a dry, difficult work. Kind of like digging that pit when you dug. <laughs> it just seems like oh, I'll never get to the bottom of this thing. You think I got the clay out. Now the rocks, well, that'll be easy. No, the rocks are not easy. The rocks don't shovel out. So dig with hands and little get little pieces out at a time. Oh, to God that we have the opportunity to give the gospel and see people saved. We just we just need to cry out to the Lord for that. That's life for the Christian. First Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that, seek, that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That is the verse I did not go into. I was kind of thinking maybe I should, but I was afraid it might just keep going on after that. But there's the conclusion. That's, that's what happens with all this, that we get that opportunity that someone now is seeking and asking us. And it says we ought to have that on our lips. We ought to have that right on the very tip of our lips to give an answer to them. That's what we try to do on Wednesdays. The more and more we just pour into it, the more of God's word is on our lips to tell somebody who asks of the reason of the hope that is within you. It says, wouldn't it be wonderful if your testimony of compassion made someone notice you and ask you what makes you different from the rest? That was what um, Josh McDowell in his book, the resurrection factor as he talked about his story he said there was a group of people not religious he'd been through religion and that was garbage to him he said but these people were different they actually loved each other and he wanted to know what the difference in them was what makes you different from the rest Peter's telling us we need to be just so different. When they do that, that's the perfect opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder, Lord God, and we must be reminded of this all the time, to have compassion. We want to take things in our own ways, in our own wisdom, and you have some unique ways. <laughs> they are so unique, they take the world by surprise. They turn people to you, but we get in the way of that because we lack compassion. We lack to see 
the people who are hurting us are the ones who need the compassion. And so, Father, help us as we deal with people in this world to show compassion, to be pitiful, to be courteous. Now, Father, thank you for your words. We need your help to perform them. But may this just set in our hearts and in our minds so that it may be used when it needs to be used. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.